Welcome to the Change Log, episode 0.1.6. I'm Adam Stukoviak. And I'm Wynn Nevelin, and we cover what's new and fresh in the world of open source. If you're catching us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. Or for a real-time view of open source, tail.thechangelog.com. Yep, you can also check us out on github.com as well. Go to forward slash explore, and you'll see us there. You'll see some trending repos, some featured repos from our blog, and all the podcasts from here on out, all the way up to 0.1.6. And uh, if you are down with Twitter and you want to follow us, you can go to twitter.com forward slash changelog show. Sorry we couldn't snag the changelog, but uh, somebody out there is cool enough. Uh, I also happen to tweet at Adam, S-T-A-C, that's Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. Looking forward to South by Southwest next week. Yeah, swinging on Friday uh, in the old, uh, potentially like a little compact car, maybe a, a midsize for cool enough. Austin's a cool town. I can't wait to see. It seems like everybody in the industry turns out for South by Southwest. Everybody I'm talking to, like I, I swear everybody I'm talking to is going to be there. You know, the problem is trying to figure out uh, what parties did because there's you know two or three cool ones at the same time. It's just a matter of uh, knowing which one's the most tip at that time, I guess. I think if uh, if you're a Gowalla user, though, you might have a leg up. Yeah, go to Gowalla, forward, uh, gowalla.com, that is, forward slash SXSW, and you'll see all of the, the parties there. And I believe if you check in at, at uh, these parties and meetups that you may be registered to win something, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I've actually been using Gowalla lately. I've been enjoying the... The fun part of like dropping things and picking things up and becoming a founder of places. It's been kind of fun. Yeah, it's pretty cool that uh, they have their API out there now, too. So you can uh, do some cool things with spots. I've seen some Google mashups with uh, Google Maps that show all the icons there on the map. And you know, Gowalla did a good job. They, those guys were, I guess, part of Icon Buffet before the Gowalla app, if, I, if memory serves. And uh, it's just everything is just well crafted in, in that particular app. And speaking of Gowalla, you did some sniffing of their API with uh, Charles Proxy, right? You talked about that with Leah Culver back in, what was that, episode 0.1.4? I think it was 5. I think it was just last episode, was it? Was it? Yeah, I sniffed out uh, some of the API before it was released using Charles Proxy, which is pretty cool. It's um, very similar to HTTP Client from uh, our buddy Todd, Todd Ditchendorf. allows you to sniff HTTP requests. I guess if we're talking about uh, if we're talking about conferences, we should probably mention the fact that we are going to be at Red Dirt RubyConf and maybe JSConf out in DC. Yeah, I'll be at Red Dirt in May, and then hopefully um, JSConf is in April. Uh, I'll be out at Chirp in San Francisco, and then we're trying to get the logistics together to get out to um, is it DC for uh, JSConf? Yeah, DC. And if you if you are going to be there, if you plan to be there, let us know. Certainly, uh, let us know uh, that you're going to be there. But if we do go there, we might do something pretty fun. So we're we're kind of excited about being there. Yeah, looking forward to a lot of things happening in the JavaScript community, including uh, the interview this week. Ajax.org. We talked to Ruben Daniels and Rick Ahrens from Ajax.org. They've got a cool new client and server framework for um, doing some some next generation JavaScript uh, items in uh, the browser and on the server. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Well, we got a, an awesome interview lined up. You want to just head to it or you got anything else to say? Let's get to it. All right. All right. We're joined today uh, by Ruben Daniels and Rick Ahrens from Ajax.org. Ruben, why don't you go first and introduce yourself to the audience and what you do at Ajax.org. Right. Um, well, my name is Ruben Daniels. Um, we started Ajax.org about five years ago, uh, just before the, the term Ajax was coined. 
Um, and it is basically a, a, a follow-up on a, on a hobby project, which I had been doing for about four years, five years from then, um, trying to create a, a user interface for, for the web. So uh, the web upcoming, uh, I noticed that you could really create nice inter user interfaces in the browser, get away from the desktop, and we wanted to create a business around that. I met Rick uh, five years before that at the university, and uh, he together we... Um, yeah, we just uh, jumped to that and started the company to uh, to, to innovate the web in, in in that way. I'm the I'm the CEO of Ajax.org, and, um, and yeah, I'm sort of the JavaScript guy in this uh, in the in the company. Um, from starters, of course, now there there are many people working for us. We're at 15 people, and um, I try to do more of the the management and the strategy side, but still uh, get my hands wet with uh, with some JavaScript coding. Cool. Thanks, Ruben. What's, uh, Rick, what's your role at Ajax.org? Um, well, I'm the CTO. Um, I have uh, a slightly different background. Uh, uh, yeah, I also started at uh, university with physics where I met Ruben. And then I went off in, uh, in a different direction with uh, media, uh, web media technology. So uh, I was mostly a C++ developer, and uh, I wrote uh, browser plugins for uh, video editing and uh, doing all sorts of um, projection stuff on big screens for um, for Tiesto and uh, uh, web stuff for Coca-Cola. So I did a lot with uh, trying to push the browser to do things it didn't do uh, back then. And uh, I, I also did a lot of uh, UI uh, development in C++ and eventually realized that I was just building a browser so that, you know, I should probably just use one instead of trying to recreate it. So uh, my angle is much more on um, C++ and um, making the browser do things that it doesn't do right now. So um, I'm also the architect of the O3 stuff within Ajax.org, um, working with our, our team of uh, C++ uh, guys to, uh, to really push um, the possibilities of the browser, but also server-side JavaScript to uh, uh, the next level. Um, I also program a lot of JavaScript nowadays uh, since uh, I'm also uh, working with Ruben on the uh, APF uh, platform. Uh, I did the charting engine that you can see on our homepage. Uh, also live market parser, just a bit the quirky parts of APF that I, I work on. So that's what I do now. So you guys have the two platforms. You have the APF platform and you have uh, O3. What's, uh, what are the two? Um, they're essentially two sides of, 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 of a coin of building web applications from, from our perspective. Um, the one side is the uh, JavaScript side, no plugins, no C++ anywhere, just pure um, running in the latest browser, HTML5 type of application. However, as you build web apps and you realize that you know the browser or the server is not really doing any, everything that you need it to, um, you also have the need to, to um, extend functionality. Um, we started with O3 uh, a couple of years ago, um, just about the time Gears was, I, I think Gears was not there yet, but the general concept of, you know, making the browser do new things, which is HTML5, the, it's, it's the essence of right now. Um, so we, we try to uh, push a project for that to um, bridge the gap, essentially, between uh, pure JavaScript applications and uh, desktop applications or even, even server-side applications. So... In the future, we see that uh, um, the JavaScript platform will be um, the UI uh, platform that will work on all mobiles, uh, desktop uh, uh, web browsers, 
and we'll use O3 to uh, push innovation of the browser platform and add little bits that we need to, um, you know, make uh, incremental uh, features of, of web applications available, like, you know, local file access or um, reading out sensors of, of some, uh, some device or uh, on the server uh, talking to a MySQL uh, API, um, which is running all on the same, uh, same JavaScript core. So, um, it's it's the, the essentially the filler around uh, the platform, so we can do the things that all the normal desktop applications already can do. So AJAX.org is a it's a pure JavaScript application framework, and it's got a couple of APIs, a markup API and a JSON API. Do those go? Uh, are they complementary? Are they um, either or? Well, what we we found we for a long time we only had the XML API, so you would write markup within your HTML document to uh, to instantiate the, the elements. But we found that in certain cases, and this is also the feedback we got from the community, uh, you want to program uh, the UI. Um, and so we wanted to offer both means. They're basically identical, so you can do exactly the same things with the X- XML API as you can with the JSON API. It will just instantiate the, the, the UI objects and add them to, to the HTML DOM, basically. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a matter of taste. So there are a lot of people who like markup, and there's a lot of people who like who are used to writing JavaScript. So now they can you know use the same system from uh, from both preferences. So let's talk about how the how you would implement either API. Is it just a JavaScript framework source reference you add to the page, and then? Uh, either code the JavaScript API or add additional markup to your page? What you, what you basically would do is you just create an HTML document and you start writing the markup. The, the JavaScript will parse the HTML document and will display the, the components in uh, at a position in the HTML that you position the markup elements in. For the uh, JSON API, you, you do the same. You probably uh, put a handler on the load event and just write a JSON as, uh, as, as you want in a similar way. And are both APIs skinnable or just the markup API? It's, it's, uh, they have exactly the same functionalities. You, they will apply the skin. They will even create, because we imp- implemented the W3C uh, DOM spec and, and the event spec as well. So you can just use append child, set attributes, etc. on the nodes, and it doesn't matter whether you created them using the JSON API or the XML API. They're absolutely identical. Can developers add their own skins, or? Yeah, uh, we we offer a couple of skins, and, and we're working hard on uh, on creating more with some designers as well. Um, but you, the the skins are no more than just an XML definition in which you have some CSS and some HTML. The, this is a, a unique feature about the skinning engine because you can define your own HTML for the elements for the UI components that you want, and it gives you a lot of freedom. For instance, uh, a list component can be just a normal list, top-down, but it can also be a, a thumbnail list, and the only difference between the, both is the, um, uh, the skin. So you have a lot of control on how your widgets uh, will look like. Yeah, from, from a slightly more technical angle, it, it means that um, we don't generate the HTML from the widget. Um, we generate the ext- uh, HTML, the eventual HTML that ends up in the browser by using the skin uh, template to instance it. So um, that's a, a, an extra layer of abstraction between the widget and the style, which is very, very powerful. It might be helpful for the listeners to, to maybe draw some comparisons to some other more well-known frameworks. So 
how does ajax.org stack up against sprout core or some of the other frameworks that are kind of in the similar space i'm i'm not that familiar with sprout core myself um i did look at at ext and uh, xjs and uh, dojo and and some other frameworks um when we compare ourselves, we usually take, take different frameworks to compare ourselves to, which are um, the MXML framework from, uh, from Adobe Flex and uh, the XAML framework from, um, from Microsoft um, because they have a, a very declarative way to uh, d- describe the UI, which means that you, you tell the system what you want uh, to do, but not how to do it, which is very different from just coding JavaScript. And I think that uh, both uh, XJS, Dojo, and, and several of these other frameworks um, really let you just write a JavaScript. And it, there's a, a big advantage of, of not having a, um, a lit, literal way of, of telling the system how to do it, but just telling the system what to do, it, especially for a uh, for a user interface, because um, uh, it, it helps you just focus on, on the problem you're solving rather than um, how to solve it, if you, if you understand what I mean. It, 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 it puts an abstraction layer away from, um, uh, uh, from the developer and makes the developer, gives the developer a focus on what he needs to build for the customer. Yeah, l- let me put a, a slightly different angle on it. Um, if you look at HTML, HTML is a declarative way of, of, of putting a a layout or uh, you know uh, a page uh, format into your uh, into your browser view. Now um, that has advantages. Using HTML to uh, you know describe a document uh, and CSS to style it um, creates a very um, compressed way of representing the document. You look at the document and you see you know as a in the source you see what it is supposed to be almost because it is just one top-down view. Now if you would create that same HTML document using um, a JavaScript API, but just inserting nodes and essentially doing the whole DOM tree, it's far less uh, maintainable. It's, it's, it's um, uh, much more difficult to, to see what it does. And it's also because the code flow is, is not um, uh, predictable in that way. You know, it can jump all around, call functions, do these kinds of things, uh, that it's, um, it can be very uh, unpredictable what that UI will be. So if you take the declarative approach for defining a, an application UI, um, you can stand on the shoulders of um, HTML and uh, use that same approach to, uh, to define your application, have the same clarity in looking at what uh, the application uh, will look like or do. And I think that also there are two other strong points about um, the Ajax.org platform which are different from these other frameworks and they're data binding and property binding. Um, these, these technologies basically allow you to describe how to transform, for instance, data that you load into a tree um, with just two or three tags rather than writing the loops yourself to convert the data into a visual representation. And this is very powerful because it allows you to, to tweak your UI and, and, and load the data from uh, different sources without, um, uh, without much, much troubles and without a lot of code. Um, you know, one or two lines, really. Um, the property binding is also very, very powerful. We, we got that concept from, um, from, from the Flex framework where you describe one property of a, of a component by using another and maybe a formula. And the binding between 
th those are created automatically for you. So you're not no longer writing events. You can still write events and, and write a JavaScript for them to to um, describe the dynamic between components, but you don't have to. So this makes it also a lot more easier to see instantly what what a component does and how it's connected to other components. Yeah, let me uh, say a little bit more about data binding. Um, the thing, uh, Ruben Skip, was the fact that the binding is live. That means that, um, you know, if you would write um, a tree using JavaScript and put data in it, you'd write a loop to put all the data in the tree. Now, as soon as the data changes or you change something with that tree widget, I don't know, drag and drop something, um, you'll have to find a way to programmatically sync the data with your UI. And that used to take a lot of code and a lot of effort to make that work and uh, work bug-free. Now, with data binding, as soon as you've set up these binding rules between the data and the UI, they remain as a bidirectional binding. So as soon as the data changes, reloads, or you know, you get a new, um, some other widget changes it, the tree automatically updates. If you drag and drop something in the tree, the data automatically updates. I think that's also very, very powerful in data binding. Yeah, and the 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 change as a developer um, is you know it's 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 a different way of thinking about your application because suddenly you have these these two things the UI and the data bound to each other and as a programmer you don't have to think about oh I want to do this with my UI no you only think okay I want to do this with my data so there's only one point where you change what you want within the application which is your data and everything else changes with that so that's the ui and and the nice thing about this is that when you share a piece of data between several applications let's say um there are five users using the same application at the same time and they want to change that data then the data change is not only represented in your ui but the ajax platform takes care of also sending it to the other clients looking at the same data so the users will see that change also represented in their UI so you have the instant you know, collaborative features that we've also seen in, in Google Wave. So you mentioned sharing code is this um, or sharing rather is do you have any sort of package management where you could share code across projects in this way? Um, yeah, sharing code uh, is, is is another concern. What I was talking about was was really sharing data. So you have a centralized data store where where people basically have a view on, on that central data. Um, we we have a, a package system for for the framework itself. So you can, um, based on your project, create a, a as tiny as possible version of of the platform that you include in in your project. Um, uh, I don't know if that's exactly what what you meant. On the other hand, we're we're working on an IDE, an online IDE, where people can um, uh, basically uh, yeah create projects and share code in that way. So we look at, uh, at what this does. Then what what kind of application is the true sweet spot for what uh, what you're developing? Like what kind of applications you're really driving for? Is it like a Google Wave or? Uh, I I think um, applications that can really benefit. Uh, from integrated um, uh, widgets uh, combined with collaborative uh, data features like this data binding and these kinds of things are um, in business applications, uh, finance, um, a, lot of, a lot of applications where you need a data grid. You need um, essentially more complex data than three buttons and a slider. Uh, to represent uh, what your application does. So um, the benefit of, of Ajax.org platform really starts um, uh, essentially when your 
application and data management becomes part of your problem set that you have to solve as a developer. And uh, I think that's also what is uh, uh, what, what sets us apart from, from other frameworks for the previous question is that um, as soon as you read a, reach a certain complexity and, and you notice that you need solutions for synchronizing data, for locking data, for all these types of uh, things that um, uh, this, the Ajax.org platform adds a lot of a lot of benefits. So I don't necessarily know if there's a sweet spot for this. Um, finance sounds like uh, one of the areas where you need a lot of these features. Um, but in general, I'm thinking like maybe the stock market, like uh, stock market data grids or big old dashboards and stuff like that that have constant yeah. updates. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, I think that would be one of the first uh, areas. Yeah, but you can see more possibilities as well because, you know, for instance, we're building now a social network site on this technology. We've built a, you know, a product search site, a content management system, but even smaller apps like, you know, an hours registration application, um, uh, mobile apps. I mean, we, we really believe that HTML5 on a mobile device will be the future, and to make that happen, you, you what you will see is that more and more complex applications will go to a mobile device, either a phone or you know, the iPad or devices like that. And I have some very complex applications on my iPhone, and those type of applications could really benefit from uh, a framework like Ajax Store Platform. So let's switch gears and talk about O3 for, for a moment. Why don't you give the guys a, an overview of O3 and, and uh, what it aims to solve? All right, so um, O3 started out as uh, essentially a way to stop having to write the same component over and over again. And by component, I mean C++ component. Um, So in my uh, previous uh, career as a uh, media uh, technology guy, um, I've written lots of plugins that uh, do, for instance, uh, video compositing or, um, you know, video editing, uh, computer vision. So... uh, like uh, the the eye toy from a PlayStation that you can move your hands in front of the camera and it would recognize movement, or audio systems that you could you know play uh, music uh, with with all sorts of um, fancy interfaces. So there's a lot of um, components that you write that you need to ha- have accessible um, in the browser environment. And by the browser environment, I, I not don't necessarily want to restrict it to the browser, but also server side. Essentially, anything that runs JavaScript. So um, one of the problems that I that I ran into with that is that it's very difficult to maintain C++ uh, components in uh, in a healthy way, so that when there are new operating systems or new browsers, uh, that you can still use these APIs. I mean. Um, how difficult that is, I think, is is also portrayed by uh, the Gear story. Um, if you look at Gears, they um, set out to extend uh, the browser with essentially the new HTML5 APIs. And um, in order for companies to say, all right, so let's take Gears and let's use this in a, in a real product, in a real application, um, the, the, the infrastructure to allow this, to allow these updates, to allow this dependency on actually using this uh, I think it's now also been voided by essentially Google aban- ab- abandoning the project um, and uh, not having it available anymore. So O3 is essentially uh, a focus on trying to make this uh, these components uh, have a longer life. So as a developer, you can actually start using them in, in an application and you don't have to be worried 
you know, will the version change uh, in the next version of Firefox or can I not use it anymore uh, uh, in, in, in three or four years? Because uh, as soon as you start applying innovation for, for customers or even, even your hobby projects, it's kind of uh, sad that, you know, stuff that you write on the web that uses these things uh, generally has a lifetime of about maybe one to two years and then you can't even show it anymore unless you made a YouTube video out of it. So that is the angle of O3. Have a component system that allows us, first of all, scratch your own itch, so allows us to make components and uh, later on uh, other people as well um, to um, enhance these these features to, to innovate the web. And... Um, as time went on and, uh, you know, the HTML5 uh, push came along, um, you can also see that this is a main focus of many people to have these cool new features uh, like a camera API or, uh, you know, uh, the video tag be available uh, to developers. And um, as, as we developed O3 further and in, into a, a very, very flexible system so that you can just write a component in C with a very simple API, and all of a sudden, you can use it from the browser or from server-side JavaScript or from a uh, site-specific browser. Um, so what are the large buckets of functionality for O3? I'm looking on the website, and I see file access and, and DB access. So what are the large pieces of functionality that you've currently built into O3? Okay, so um, you have to start with the basics. So uh, we started with a file API, a socket API, um, an image API, which was uh, very important for us with a canvas uh, uh, API on top of it. So uh, we could do server-side chart rendering or features like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, we're very much still in, in the basic stage where we're adding um, essentially a, um, a common JS-like uh, basic library uh, that you can use from, uh, from your JavaScript environment. But we're really aching to start doing the more advanced things like um, putting a webcam on, on, on the image object or um, doing some uh, uh, real-time barcode analysis. So you can really start to have fun with this API as well. And you mentioned using this on the server. So is it geared towards playing nice with things like Node.js and other server-side uh, JavaScript frameworks? Um, yeah, Node.js is, is, is not necessarily a framework, but more of a, essentially an a all-in-one uh, JavaScript server with, their own, with its own uh, components. Um, O3 is, is essentially a component platform, so um, having it uh, be usable uh, from its V8 engine that it's using, um, it will most likely be uh, similar to Node.js in many respects of um, using it as a server-side JavaScript engine, uh, except that the components that you write for O3, you can also use uh, on any other uh, JavaScript environment as well. So CommonJS could be very easily ported to run on O3. Um, promises will be implemented as well. So code that runs on Node will have a high probability of uh, running as well on O3 server-side JavaScript. And your site mentions uh, both a plugin and a site-specific browser approach to uh, getting O3 in the browser. So talk a bit for the uh, SSB vision. Is that a separate download, or would it work with other SSBs that are currently on the market? Um, the SSB is really a uh, uh, essentially what it says. It's a site-specific browser. So um, it's currently a very small executable that offers the same APIs as the browser plugin or a server-side JavaScript. 
and um, it uses the browser that's installed on the system. So for Windows, that means that it uses IE, uh, and for uh, Mac, that it means that it uses the installed Safari uh, as a component. Um, but we're also working on making a full WebKit build so that the browser that is used in the SSB is the same on all platforms. And I think that's very close to Air or Accelerator. I noticed the demo, moving back over to the um, Ajax.org framework for a moment, notice the demo on the homepage is using the Canvas object. What are you guys doing in an Internet Explorer to, to pull that off? Um, yeah, we're essentially uh, still using VML because that's the only uh, vector API that's available in IE, uh, except we're using a bit of um, trickery to make it uh, acceptably fast for uh, this use case of rendering charts and things like that. So essentially the uh, the optimization boils down to just don't change anything in the DOM tree unless you absolutely have to. And uh, make sure that all the calculations that you do to uh, calculate these paths are the most optimal JavaScript that you could write. And uh, that allows us to do properly fast uh, interactive charts in IE as well. But uh, I, I would Love, love it if IE had uh, a fast canvas. So in your opinion, then, are, are we entering an era with, uh, with JavaScript where we can do with JavaScript what we used to do in Flash? Or do you see Flash dying? Um, I don't see Flash dying, um, at least not until something significantly changes in um, the HTML5 route and the market penetration of all these new features. Um, because after uh, you know, after all said and done, it's it's all a matter about uh, the installed base uh, that you can reach with that specific feature, and uh, Flash still has the upper hand on on many many uh, areas, such as that it has a video codec that uh, they've agreed about, and uh, that the uh, JavaScript API is very tightly bound to the render engine that allows you to do. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw, saw the 100,000 particle thing in Flash. Um, well, that is something that you can do if you tightly bound your uh, JavaScript engine to your render engine. And I think for uh, the browser to do that um, will require some, uh, some architectural changes or at least a focus on uh, that aspect of becoming as fast as Flash. So I really uh, hope that um, that penetration of features um, can be achieved. And that's also one of the goals with O3 uh, that we took up in that if you can make HTML5 at least cross-browser compatible until um, it has reached this, uh, uh, this penetration level, then um, you know, even by providing it through a plugin can uh, at least speed that process up, uh, hopefully for developers to be able to use those features in a HTML5 way and not have to resort to Flash. Gotcha. And we have, uh, we have the platform, APF platform, and we have O3, what kind of licenses are attached to those and where can they find this? Where can our listeners find the source at? Well, the APF platform is uh, LGPL and O3 is GPL at this point. Um, uh, the APF platform is uh, Ajax.org platform is available through Subversion and O3 is available on uh, GitHub. We're um, uh, very soon moving Ajax.org platform to GitHub as well. Um, and you can find the, the links all on ajax.org slash hash download. Maybe this should have been mentioned in, when we first started the call, but I actually met up with you guys at the uh, the exhibit, the first night of Future of Web Apps down in Miami recently. 
Yeah. And you guys had a fabulous booth there. Uh, great Thanks. demonstrations of what you guys are doing. But uh, at that uh, demonstration, I, meant, I asked you if you guys would be interested in hosting a mirror of, uh, of APF on GitHub. Is that still true? No, definitely. We're actually uh, planning on just moving the entire main uh, repo to GitHub. Okay. It's uh, it's just uh, it's uh, takes some uh, some logistical work to actually get that there. You know, we have uh, nightly builds and all these type of things. But yeah, no, that's definitely in in the plan. I think within one or two months we'll be we'll be moving that to GitHub. So basically, what you're saying is that all AJAX.org uh, projects will be on GitHub. The two main ones, yeah. I think that we we also have uh, an, uh, a couple of people working on a GWT implementation, and I think they're running that on uh, Google Code. But that's just because you know GWT is is very much a, a Google based uh, community. But other than that, uh, we'll be using GitHub as our main uh, repo. We're talking about uh, GitHub and the community there. What uh, what type of open source projects are on both of your radar? Uh, you guys can go one at a time, but just in general, what's on your radar in terms of open source? What do you want to play with? What's fun out there that you really want to get your get your hands on? Yeah, that's a difficult question because uh, as a uh, uh, platform developer, we're, of course, incredibly busy trying to push all this technology out for even for ourselves to use. But, uh, yeah, one of the uh, database systems that I've uh, just done a uh, social network prototype with is CouchDB. Um, I thought it was very, very interesting to see a new approach to uh, to a database after all these years of uh, MySQL, um, and especially the MapReduce algorithm, I think Couch is a uh, is a great way for people to get accustomed to this kind of quirky um, parallel algorithm that you don't you know necessarily um, uh, use at all in any other uh, environment unless you're uh, working at Google or something like that. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a very, very interesting project. Um, the focus of it is is kind of hard to get. So when would you want to use MySQL and when would you want to use Couch? That takes a bit of uh, a bit of experimenting. Um, but generally, the idea is that if you have an offline database, uh, that you have to sync with an online database, essentially using a local database store, that uh, Couch is uh, very well suited for that. And also for, um, yeah, essentially... Databases where you need a lot of uh, summing over uh, large data sets um, that you uh, update with views often. But there's a lot of technicalities behind it. Um, other open source uh, projects, um, yeah, we keep track of a lot, but mostly in terms of looking what's out there um, and seeing uh, what, their, what their focus is. Sometimes... Uh, um, yeah, what kind, seeing also, keep, uh, uh, what kind of tools do you use to keep track of open source projects? Uh, well, essentially, so far, uh, Twitter, uh, sometimes uh, uh, Reddit programming, I think, is uh, for me a major source of uh, uh, looking what's going on because anything that's uh, you know uh, peaking the radar usually uh, shows up at uh, Reddit programming, um, especially a lot of uh, functional um, uh, functional languages, uh, which is very interesting for scalability uh, aspects. I guess you should probably add the uh, the changelog.com to your your list too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Selfless plug, sorry. <laughs> How about you, Ruben? Well, um, yeah, I check out things that that come by. I'm very interested in in the whole common JS movement. I see a lot of activity there. 
Um, Narwhal is, is one of the things that, that I'm looking at and um, uh, I haven't played around with it yet but it, it, it seems very interesting and they, got, they have a lot of uh, modules already ready so um, that's something that um, uh, I maybe want to try to run on, um, uh, on O3 as well so um, yeah that's it for me yeah and of course there's Node.js which is uh, uh, of course a very very nice way to uh, solve scalability with uh, JavaScript on the server um, because we're also looking at you know how to uh, a inter- integrate with it conceptually, but also mostly to uh, see uh, what problems uh, they solve and how they solve it. And I think that's also uh, because we're also uh, moving uh, towards server-side JavaScript uh, with our APIs, uh, with the component API in O3. We have to also look at um, how to make it easy for developers to write server-side JavaScript. And I think Node has a very, very interesting approach with uh, the promises. Uh, I haven't seen the promise concept being used to such an extent that you could um, write essentially chained code that was purely event-based. And uh, I think it's a great approach, but there's also possibilities to simplify it. And uh, that's what we're currently uh, researching. If we can take an approach uh, with server-side JavaScript that would essentially... Um, allow people to write blocking code top down, except that it it's secretly not blocking uh, in the in the back end. So um, you would get the same effect of uh, of um, scalability, but just with this little bit more simplicity for the developer. I don't know if it's going to work out, but uh, for those kinds of projects, we also really look at what they do right and what you could improve or uh, use in your um, in our own approach to to service side JavaScript. You guys are both from the Netherlands or in the Netherlands? Where are you guys based? We're, we're both from the Netherlands. I was born um, in a town called Haarlem, which is about eight kilometers from Amsterdam. And um, yeah, lived all my life in, uh, in the Netherlands. And where's and, your team uh, based now? Amsterdam. It's in Amsterdam. Okay. So talk a bit for a moment about the Amsterdam development scene. I see a lot of talent coming out of, ne- out of the Netherlands and just wanted to know um, how you see the, the development landscape over there. Uh, I think I think the development landscape here is is very much similar to other um, um, big cities around the world. Essentially, where there's a lot of uh, production uh, web development, so uh, essentially, you know, making sites for uh, the local big companies, uh, making uh, web applications and uh, uh, solutions that are very um, very much focused on one market, like uh, you know, CRMs for uh, supermarkets, or that, that that would be one of those types of verticals. There's always a lot of companies that are doing that. Um, and we had uh, also uh, a couple of nice dot-com style applications here in, uh, um, here in Amsterdam, like uh, eBuddy. Uh, we built the uh, first uh, Ajax uh, MSN client for them. Um, but uh, yeah, also uh, TomTom. And you do notice that in the developer uh, scene uh, that's uh, web or uh, JavaScript related that these companies have a lot of impact here um, and everybody knows them. So um, I think it's, it's fairly healthy, but we could do with some more um, Silicon Valley style um, spirit here, I think. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that um, just just locally, every every good JavaScript programmer um, knows each other. 
it's maybe maybe one node away from the network, but uh, it's it's a tight group of people that that just go out for beers and um, uh, and meet up. One of uh, one of our colleagues, um, Mike de Boer, he just started the Amsterdam JS together with uh, with some other guys, and uh, yeah. Many people from TomTom, Tom, like Rick said, uh, showed up and, and, and a couple of others. But it's a tight group of, of JavaScript developers here that, uh, that hang out together and, and try to, uh, try to uh, innovate and, and, and make new stuff happen on the web. Perfect. That's a nice segue to my next question. What, so you guys were at uh, JSConf in Europe, and we're going to be at uh, JSConf here shortly in D.C. What uh, Any upcoming events you guys plan to be at? I know at, at FOA you were there with a booth and you were demonstrating what uh, what your platform is and your technologies and stuff what any upcoming events you plan to be at that you can let us know about well um, we're going to to Sweden to an event there Um, I have to say that I don't remember the name right now Um, and we're not planning on going to too many events right now. I think we, we started going to events about half a year ago, really trying to connect to the, to the group of developers that, that we're uh, catering to with our tooling and finding out, okay, what's, what's necessary, what's, what's missing, what do people want with them. And I think we have a very clear picture now, especially concerning the IDE, what it should do, which problems it should solve, what, what would be the right business model, how would... How, Open would it need to be, and for us is right now it's a time of of building it, just just you know really focusing on getting that technology out, uh, rather than um, uh, going out and you know marketing ourselves in, in in that sense. So I think for the for the coming few months we'll be finishing that, creating an, an IDE, and then and after that we'll we'll show that online. You mentioned that IDE, and I know I saw a little bit of uh, of what you guys are working on, but uh, we probably don't have time to go too deep into it here at all. But uh, it, do you have any upcoming plans for a screencast on what the IDE is and a page on your site that kind of describes what it is? Definitely. Um, we hope in, in one, one and a half months to actually have a, a, a working uh, version, one that is included in the distribution of the EdgeScript.org platform itself. So you can just start an application, um, the index.html or the hello world and start drawing your your UI. It has um, a Firebug-like interface because, of course, it's all markup. So you can actually browse through uh, the markup, see the elements, change them runtime, and then save it back to your original uh, file. And there will be definitely a screencast, but there will also be uh, just a, a, a package where you can download it and, and use it right of, out of the box, basically. And make sure you let us know when you post that, too, or whenever you're getting near. We'll definitely help you get the word out. Thanks. It will do. Well, Ruben, Rick, we certainly appreciate your time. The uh, Both frameworks look fun. I can't wait to kick the tires on these. And uh, just thanks again for joining us. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Changelog. Point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source. Also, be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos, as well as the latest episodes of The Changelog. <laughs>